You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Luciana Bonifacio, Chief Development Officer at Save the Children, a global nonprofit organization that ensures children around the world get a healthy start, the opportunity to learn, and are protected from harm. Luciana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here with you. I can't wait to learn more about what you are doing because those three elements that we just listed are not small and not small endeavors as far as your reach, given that you're trying to do that for all children around the world, which is amazing to think that we even need an organization to ensure that that happens. It's, you know, as a parent, even it's just scary to think that there are children who need outside resources to help protect them and keep them safe and help them to thrive in this world. So with that, tell us about Save the Children. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Sure. Very happy to do that. So Save the Children, as you mentioned, we are a global nonprofit organization, and our focus really is laser focus on the needs of children. And when we think about children, it really is about making sure they survive, they learn, which is not just going to school, it's actually getting a quality education, mm. right? Yes. It's being protected from harm. And that can take all forms of violence. It can be physical violence. It can be the violence of conflict and being in a crisis place. So what when we do this, and you were mentioning it's so hard to think like it's needed. We've been around for a little bit over 100 years. Wow. And what we were established by this absolutely visionary woman who at that time, during World War I, believed children had rights. And this is, at that time, a completely surprising concept. It was a revolutionary concept to think children have right to be fair, to be protected, to be warm. And that vision that she had at that time to be revolutionary and stand for children no matter what, that is what guides us still today in everything we do to make sure children have the life they deserve and can make it their own life. So that's that's what we do. Yes, yes, it's amazing. And I'm so happy to know that there are organizations out there like yours to ensure that that happens, especially when parents don't have the means or the children don't even have the parents or the exactly. guardians who can keep them safe and provide for those basic needs for them. In doing all this, I would imagine that it can be emotionally difficult at times to think about the problems that you have to solve with what so many children are struggling with around the world. So on the balance of that, what's your favorite part of your job and why? I love my job. I have actually been with Civic Children for over 20 years. Mm. And the only reason, the only way you can stay with the job for that long is if you really love it, right? Yes. So I, definitely, there are a couple of things that I would say probably everybody around Save the Children would mention. So I'll start with those two and then I'll add one that is sure. maybe my own. But people often mention, and I agree fully for me, it's the mission 
of Save the Children, what we do really gives you a level of energy and a level of satisfaction, right? That you cannot compare. The second is the people. We are very fortunate to have an incredible group of talented, committed individuals that make work something you can enjoy, even if you're working on difficult things. Yes. And what I would add is I really like that the work is challenging. Yes. Every day there are new things that we need to solve for, that we need to think about, that I I hadn't had to think about the day before, right? And it, it makes you be so vested because it's, yes, you're, you're vested through your soul, your commitment, but your brain is engaged at every time, every moment. So that to me are the things that really make me love what I do. I think a lot of people out there may not have ever really processed the notion of the position of a chief development officer. We're looking at fundraising. We're looking mm-hmm. at partnerships and sponsorships and those kinds of things. Yeah. So what's an example of something that would be new in your world? What challenges you as chief development officer that is something you hadn't thought about before? Sure. Very happy to tell you that. So as you said, in my role, I oversee relationships with corporations, foundations, major donors, our board, and often for our supporters, the ability to travel and see the work we're doing and how their donations are making a difference really has a huge impact for them. And we're not alone in the fact that with the pandemic, people couldn't travel. Sure. So then we had to figure out and I had to figure out what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to avoid people feeling distanced from the work and continue to feel that connection? So we came up with a concept and we spoke about doing virtual visits, but we didn't want it to become a techie you know, glitzy concept, like no 3D, no (laughs) Google eye masks or whatever. It was just like something that people could just enjoy. And what we did was create these videos that really replicate the visit. So it was from arriving at the airport and our team member is welcoming you and you're driving down the street and you're seeing what the street is like while our team member is talking to you about like, hey, this is what the place is like. We're going to be on the car for four hours and then we're going to get to the office and then you walk into the office. And so you really get immersed into that experience. So we finished that. We did two so far. So this is still new. We're going to be doing many more. The feedback has been fantastic to the point that now two things I would say about it. One, we had people join the visits with their children. And that's something we could have never done before. Like we wouldn't bring kids with them to a remote part of whatever country, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, it allowed us to reach many more. And I think this is now something that we're going to be using beyond the pandemic because it's a way to reach so many more people with that connection. I would imagine, is is it a video that's publicly available? Is it on your website, on YouTube? It is, it is. So people can go to savethechildren.org slash journeys and we have what we have so far and we'll continue to add to the library additional visits. That's great. So, all right, everybody, at the end, of course, we'll revisit this and we'll give a bunch of other web links and and social media links, et cetera, that you can check out to learn more. But I love that this came up so early. So be sure that as soon as this interview is done, don't pause yet, just But as soon as we're done here, go to savethechildren.org slash journeys, you said, right? Yes. So that you can get that first hand experience. 
to see really what they're doing. And I think for so many nonprofits, that's a real challenge to help people experience the impact that they're having. People want to know where their money is going. What, is, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. If I donate $5 or $5,000 or $5 million, what's going to happen with it? And if you can give me that really boots on the ground yeah. view to see this is what it looks like. These are the people that you'll be helping. I can imagine that would have so much more of, a, of an impact. So I'm going to be checking that out as soon as we're done. Excellent. Good. I look forward to hearing your thoughts after you watch them. Yes. And I'm going to invite everybody else out there to email. We'll, we'll have contact information, of course, in the show notes with everything else. But go watch the Journeys video and then give them feedback and give me feedback. I would love to know what your experience was as you check them out as well. I think in the not too distant future, a Giving Tuesday is coming up. Always a great opportunity to uh, explore these kinds of experiences as just an alternative holiday gift and all that kind of fun stuff, too. Okay, enough plugging. So <laughs> let's back to you, Luciana. Tell me about your skill set. So you just did a great job pitching the video here. As far as communication skills are concerned, mm-hmm. what's something that you're really good at and what do you wish you were better at? I think I'm really good at listening. This is something that people have told me over the years. They feel that when when they have a meeting with me, I'm paying attention, I'm listening to what they are saying, and I can empathize with people and understand where they are coming from and how to connect, right? So I think those are all areas where I do really well. I think what people may not realize is that I am actually an introvert Mm. and it has been something I've worked for quite a bit. I would not necessarily be the first one to speak at a meeting, Mm. right? And would want to hear the perspectives of everybody before maybe expressing my own because I wanted to see if there was something else I hadn't thought about and what else do they know and what's... And it's something that I think in many areas, I feel I'm doing really well now. And there are areas where I still need to work on sometimes because I still have a tendency to want to hear a lot before I say, okay, now, given all of this, this is where I stand. It doesn't happen all the times. Sometimes I know it exactly and I can guide it right to the point I want to go. And sometimes I really feel that it may not be complete if I don't hear the other perspectives. So it's still a balancing act sometimes to find when is it enough and when do you just take a position and and stick with it? Yes, yes. And I think there's part of it can be the introvert, extrovert continuum. And But I think there are ways that people process information that Mm -hmm. is separate from that as well. I believe it was the Myers-Briggs test. If some people out there have taken Myers-Briggs, there's the introvert, extrovert continuum, but there's also a, what do they call it? Sensor intuitor or something like that. At what point do you have enough information that you can go more or less on a gut reaction Mm -hmm. instinct and with information to back it up versus at what point do you just feel like I never quite have enough data to be 100% or if not 100% confident enough Mm -hmm. in making the decision. And so as someone who sounds like you fall more on the S side of that continuum, the wanting more and more data, how do you know when enough is enough? And you know what, regardless, at this point, I need to make my voice heard. Yeah. And for me, it's not so much the data piece as it is the perspectives piece. Mm. Like, Which okay, is data. what do you think that? Yes, but it's not, you know, I'm not, not like numerical as data, much of the, right. 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 Yeah. It's like, okay, what are, Input, how are we'll you thinking it. about it? Yeah. Because clearly you have a different take than I do. And you feel this is definitely a bad idea. And I'm not so sure it's a bad idea. So why? Yes. Why do you think that? Um, how do I know? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. It comes a point where you just, 
no. And is it, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer. That's okay. that are, I find that there are areas where it's very clear to me. When the areas where it's very clear is when it is a question of principle, right? This is not the way we treat people or behave or things like that. that those are very clear. Mm -hmm. And on topics of aesthetics, like how does the video should look or how do we tell the story when we're those kinds of areas, those are really clear to me how we go about it. Yes. It's more on other areas of like, should we take a position on this particular topic? Mm. What should the position be? Got it. And I feel like those are so there's so much gray in between. Like we could go to so many different points and you could defend each one. Sure. But those are the ones that I feel like I could go deep and I need to stop myself at some point and maybe just trust members of my team to be like, all right, where do you stand and why? And if I can support what you're telling me, I'll go with that. And other times where it has yes. come from me fully, but it's a process. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. So what's something that's happening now with Save the Children I mean, everything you do is important, but something that's new or exciting or opportunity. And how do you have to change the way you talk about it with different stakeholder groups? Yeah, great question. So right now, we've been going through a journey as the organization when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion. Let's say let's start there about three years ago. And I was really delighted to be part of the first DEI council that was established at Save the Children by one of my colleagues at the time, fantastic guy that had this vision that really if we're going to have a DEI council and initiative, it should be diverse from the start. Sure. And so the way it was set up was with people from across the organization, from very junior people who were very new to very established people. And we started this work together. We had some big changes that I thought were great at the time that are still in place. One was we started paying interns because we realized that often an internship ended up becoming a permanent job. Didn't happen all the time, but many interns did. And if we were not paying interns, then we were already pre-selecting who had that opportunity, mm. right? So that was an important decision to say, no, you know what, we're going to pay. And then level the playing field a bit, right? So that was one thing that started this journey for SAVE. Yes. We continued in a number of other ways. We started looking at, and I was also directly involved. I am still in working with other colleagues as well in diversifying our board through a number of lenses, from people of color to age to geographic location, right? And we're making huge progress on that front. But this work this looking at things from different lenses continues. And I think one part of what we're doing right now that I think is very important is we're thinking about the language we use yes. when we describe our work, when we describe the people with whom we work. Yes. Some of the words we probably used very frequently, not just us, but across the sector, was referring to people as beneficiaries. Mm. And when you think about it, that conveys this one-way street. I give you receive. You're passive. Yes. And you're just accepting what I give you, which is in no way the way we work or the way we want people to think about what we do. Yes. So we're looking for, and that's just one of other words as well, or phrases that we use to describe what we do. So, you know, now, depending on where we, what we're talking about, we may speak about the communities 
where we work. We may talk about the children and families in Ethiopia, in whatever location, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's really describing the people with whom we work in a way that it shows more of their own persona separate from us and the fact that it is a partnership between us, right? Yes, less of a label. Yeah, yes. And more of, they are just as active participants as we are, right? We're collaborating. Yes. We're not just handing out. It's never been our work to just hand things out. The handout is not part of how we yes. work at Save the Children. So why let it be interpreted that way? Yep. Now, so important, the active versus passive and recognizing agency and role and relationship as opposed to just... Mm-hmm. Here's the person who receives the handout. It really does change the impression of how you think and feel about the people who are working with you and receiving the benefits. So that's so important. Now, Luciana, this brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So this is how you've been now helping to influence so many people. Let's help others get their own influence. This is your opportunity to speak directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours so that they have more influence. How would you like to challenge our audience today? Okay. So here's what I would say. This is something I did many years ago that worked for me. So I'm going to pass it on and hope it works for others too. Okay. In this particular case, I was pretty early on in my career. Mm -hmm. I had already, you know, I had some years under my belt, but I was just starting to take more of a leadership role. And this place to be was a little bit new. So I was trying to figure out what kind of leader did I want to And you were at Save the Children? That was your early role? I was at Save the Children. Yeah. Yeah. But starting to take more leadership positions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, I started thinking about who are the people who are in leadership positions that I actually admire? Who do I like on the way they work? Mm -hmm. And so My first challenge is the 24-hour challenge, and then I'll tell you what comes after that. But the 24-hour challenge would be take a moment to jot down two, three people. They can be at work. They can be in your personal life, but that you're close enough, okay? People you can observe Mm -hmm. that you think are great leaders. And then over the coming weeks and months, every time you're in a meeting where they are, observe them and jot it down, okay? What is it? when they take an action, when they say something that is maybe different than the way others in similar positions act, what is it that you appreciate about them? And then I think that first moment of taking stock of what it is they do, then you can start seeing what of those you like and you also feel like they would work for you, that you may want to do more of that. And that may just start giving you some hints of, you know, because there are so many preconceptions sometimes on what makes a good leader. And sometimes it can be at all levels of leadership and it can show sometimes in unexpected ways. So it's just giving you awareness of what resonates with you. Yes. And I, I like the idea of not just observing, but writing it down, taking mm-hmm. notes for yourself, because the way we process concepts in the brain Abstract ideas like, gee, I'm watching them and I get this sense. There's something about the sound of their voice or the words that they use or their mannerisms or who they make eye contact with and for how long, et cetera. It's one thing to just see it and to feel it. 
But to have to translate those thoughts into specific words that you can put on a page <laughs> really makes your brain register that content on so much more concrete of a level. And by writing it down, it also helps to embed it in the brain and help you learn it and, and yeah. remember it. So I, I think that's terrific. So everybody out there, don't just take mental notes. I don't care if you use two thumbs <laughs> to take those notes on your phone notes app or something, or or you write it on a post-it note or wherever it is, but definitely make yourself write it down. I love that challenge. Now, everybody's got their official instructions. So first step, jot down the two to three people who, who you have access to and can watch as those great leaders and then go from there. Now, Luciana, we've talked about a lot of things you have done very successfully, and we would be under the impression that you were just perfect. Oh, no. I'm guessing there have been lessons along the way. So can you share with us a communication mistake that you've made somewhere along the way? Yes. And I think it became very clear to me in a bit of an unexpected way, Okay, which was I was at a, at a workshop and, and this phrase popped up. I don't remember if it was on a slide, on a handout, on some material we were using for the workshop. And it said... The problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Oh. And I was like, oh, wow, yes, that is so right. I've had so many situations when I left a meeting thinking we were all very clear on who was going to do what or what we were trying to do. And then, you know, two weeks later, you're checking in to see where are we on this thing and everybody had a different idea of who was doing it or what we were trying to do. And you are just back where you were two weeks ago, right? Mm. So after that, I started taking a very active role. It's a small thing, but it, I realized I needed to do more of a check to make sure we had actually heard the same thing and that we were leaving the conversation with the same understanding of what needed to happen. I was just the other day at a meeting with a number of colleagues. It was maybe seven, eight of us. We were talking about a particular relationship that we needed to identify a project that we wanted to flesh out, two to three ideas to flesh out, to put in front of this very influential person. And so we were talking and and it was one of those times when I had this very clear feeling of like, by the time we end this meeting, we are going to all go into our own corners and everybody's going to say that something different was discussed at the meeting. Yes. And we're going to end up with nothing. Right. So I actually, within the meeting, before we wrapped up, I was like, wait a moment, before we hang up the line, I asked this particular person who was technically supposed to do the one doing the follow-up after to Tell us what you heard. What do you think mm. you're doing when we all hang up the line? Yes. And it was really interesting because she was like, well, I actually think I know some of what we're doing, but I'm not really clear on this other part. And it was really good to do that because then we could all agree. like, okay, yeah, we landed two. This thing, before we can do it, what do we then need to do, right? And But it was a little bit more, and she was laughing at the beginning when I had asked her because I was like, okay, this is hard because it had been like a very active dialogue conversation. Everybody was throwing ideas. Yes. And I think everybody thought their idea was the one that had made it, right? So I was like, mm, right. I don't know that we have landed this. So it was good. And, you know, then she was able to make progress on 
the two that we had and we had clear steps on how are we going to land the other one? Like, can we decide a bit now? Do we need to have a follow on on that one piece? And it, it's not so huge, but it can have impact and it can have compounded impact when it happens across multiple meetings, multiple discussions, right? Yes, yes. I think there's really two important components to that lesson. And the first is that at the end of a meeting, when a variety of decisions have been made, et cetera, to ensure that somebody is in charge of sending the follow-up email recapping Mm -hmm. what was decided, the what by when, who's responsible for what, et cetera, so that there's one record that everybody signs off on. We all agree that this is what was heard. But not only that, because we don't want to put the onus on that person to be independently and solely responsible for getting everything correct, save time at the end of that meeting for that person to run through, okay, understanding that their notes are rough and it's going to be messy for them to find where everything was in that moment. But nevertheless, have them recap what they understood as the main Mm -hmm. takeaway points, because there's a really good chance that not only did that person not catch 100% what you thought they should have caught, but nobody else agrees on what that should have been either. So to really make sure you leave some time there to clarify those bits and pieces, because as they say, the devil is in the details. Mm -hmm. And we certainly don't want to get done and then realize we have to have a whole second meeting to clarify what happened in the first meeting. And that was a giant waste of time. Yes. And I've been really those. <laughs> so I don't want I that. think we all have. Yeah. We all have. It's like, how did you get that from what I said? <laughs> no, that's not what I heard that person say at all. And oh my goodness. Yes. What a challenge. So yes, make that opportunity to do the recap and have somebody else send it out afterwards. Terrific advice. Now, what about in the virtual world? You have a global organization, so you've got teams everywhere working remotely to some extent or other has always been a component of the work that Save the Children has done because of how vast of an organization it is, even from 100 years ago, which is also, by the way, amazing that the organization has had that kind of longevity, Mm -hmm. which is quite the testament to, A, the importance of the work that it's doing, but also the quality of the leadership Mm -hmm. that you have to have been bringing on and training and retaining generation after generation. And it really is about generations at this point, Uh, really a testament to the culture of the organization. But in doing so, of course, over the last year or two, the notion of what it means to work remotely and work virtually has changed for everybody. And I would guess for you as well. Um, How has your individual and the organization's virtual presence improved in the last year? And what would help you to be even more effective moving forward? Sure. I do want to say one thing that I think has been fabulous about moving to a more virtual collaboration. Sure. We've always had people that worked in our Connecticut office, in our DC office, and, and I'm speaking just right now just about our US-based, right? But we also had people in California, in Seattle, and they typically would feel like they were the second thought mm. in the meetings, you know, that yeah. we were all having this active conversation and they were like, can I, can I, can I, you know, come in right. to say something? Were they just and, on and conference calls on a phone line? Would be on a conference call, right. right? Or people would forget to set up a room that had a screen that we could see them on the screen. Mm-hmm. Or we wanted to do breakout rooms and they couldn't participate with everybody else. So there was always this, the physical distance was felt. People were participating in different levels. That went away, Mm. right? Now, because we are all virtual, we are all participating in a, from an even play field. And I love that. 
And one commitment I have to myself, and I don't know exactly how we're going to do this, but as we start going back to hybrid environment where we may sometimes be in the office and sometimes remote, I don't want to lose that. It really has made a huge difference for all of us. I know it's valuable for them, but it's valuable for me too. Like these are incredibly valuable members of the team and I want to hear them just as much as I hear everybody else. So how do we continue to do that in a new environment, right? So, yes. so that's, that's yes. a challenge to come, right? Uh, yes. But, but it's something I don't want to lose. Exactly. And there are certainly those who I think also feel who maybe in person didn't necessarily speak up as much, didn't feel as empowered, whether it was something environmental or just in their own mindset or who knows where, where that was coming from. But I've had a lot of people express that in the virtual world, they feel more comfortable sharing as an equal. And we want to make sure that that doesn't get lost when we all go back or when at least some people go back to virtual, especially now that there's hybrid teams where on certain days of the week, different people come in. So you'll never have the whole team all at once, which just makes things that much more confusing. And my biggest concern, frankly, is that hybrid is going to allow for the worst of both worlds because you're going to go back in some ways to the people who were never comfortable, never as effective on virtual will stay not effective mm-hmm. in the virtual world, but those who were feeling otherwise disempowered or kind of excluded somehow because they were the satellite, yeah. they weren't viewed as well when they weren't included as easily when others were face-to-face around the table, that even though they'll be on video, that will still get lost. Either they won't be able to hear because the microphone's going to be attached to a camera in the corner of the room 30 feet away. And yeah. that's definitely something that I've been starting to talk with a lot of clients about as well as how to do exactly that, keep the good parts of both intact without losing them to the rest of the the transition. So I think that's a very savvy, very perceptive realization that this is something we have to prepare for in advance, not wait until. Mm -hmm. And what you mentioned about people who may not have participated traditionally in meetings, even if they were in person. Yes. I've seen that too. And I've heard some of them mention that there's a feeling when you're looking at the camera, that the person is talking to you. Yes. And so they, I'm speaking for them, mentioned they feel included, spoken to, you know, you're looking at me. Yes. So I think that's also incredibly important. And I want to make sure that stays, right? That feeling. So I would say it's good to turn your cameras on in meetings. Yes. I like it much better. Sometimes we have group meetings and some people don't turn their cameras on. Yes. And It is an opportunity to connect in so many ways right now that I can, you know, I can see the reactions. I can see if like, oh, this is interesting you or you're bored or or you have a question mark in your face that I need to understand what what is it that it's not quite landing. Yes. So if we don't turn the cameras on, we're eliminating a lot of that potential communication. Yes, I agree. I'm I'm a big proponent in all the virtual influence trainings that I've been doing. Cameras on, cameras on, cameras on. Here's how to do it well, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And and there are still groups that resist that. But uh, I actually like being on video because if nothing else, as opposed to being in person, I look as tall as everyone else on the screen. You and I both. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of episodes over the summer, I think I had someone who is the head of 
Big Brothers Big Sisters, another great organization supporting children. And in his Marcus Allen, who in his past life was a professional basketball player. And I said, you know what, Marcus, I think this is the only place in the world where I look about an inch taller than you are. I have to say, <laughs> the way he's got his camera. So yeah, otherwise I'd probably come up to his belly button. But uh, it's it's nice to have that that equalization yes. of the playing field. Yeah. That's terrific. All right. Well, my last opportunity for you to share some wisdom with us here today, Luciana, let's talk about the children. Let's talk about the future generation and let's talk to them mm -hmm. for that matter. So if you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates, whether or not they're going to college, regardless of their majors or career goals? What's the one thing they have to do to be successful? I would say, don't worry too much. I have found that where I ended up has not been where I thought I would end up. Oh, amen to that. <laughs> right? Same here. And I love it. Yes. But I would have never, ever, like, I went to school for fashion design. Mm. No connection whatsoever to what I'm doing now. And I lived in a different country, right? So what I think is important is to be active all the time. Be working towards what you think at that time is what you want to do but leave the doors open to see what other opportunities may be opening up on the side. Yes. Because then if you just wait for the light to shine and tell you where you have to go, chances are you're going to go nowhere, right? So be active, be on it, be participating, be trying and exploring things, but don't get settled that I had said I was going there, so that's where I'm going. Start going there and maybe take a detour. Yes, it is absolutely fine. And chances are you're going to love where you end up. And if not, at least, you know, not that detour, maybe the next one. Yes. Yes. It is very much a, a winding path of a career journey for both of us. You know, my oldest son is a freshman in college right now. And a year or so ago, he was debating, where do I want to apply? What do I want to be? And he asked me, you know, mom, did you always know that this is what you wanted to do for a living? And I looked him square in the eye. I said, sweetheart, I didn't know what I do now was even a thing until somebody offered to pay me to do it. Yes, exactly. You just did, never did know. Being a fundraiser, is that a thing? Like that wasn't a thing at that right. time. Um, yeah. And if it was yeah. and somebody had said it to you, would you have said, yeah, that sounds exciting. Like you know, when you're 18, that doesn't mean anything. Being a fun, I don't, I don't know what, and yet you love your job, right? It's fulfilling, yes. it's exciting, it's challenging. I love it. And you have shared wonderful experiences, stories, and advice with us today. Luciana, how can people learn more about you and save the children? Mm -hmm. Yes, you're welcome to visit our website. It's savethechildren.org. And if you want to learn more about the visits that we were discussing, it's same thing, savethechildren.org slash journeys. And you can get to see some of the work in action, meet some of the staff that do the work the, every day, and some of the children and families who, that are part of the program. So we'd love to host you in one of these virtual visits. We would love that. So we will, of course, share that. We'll share the link in our show notes along with your other social media links. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. It's been a great conversation. Loved every minute of it. So thank you.
I'm so glad. And thank you, everybody, for joining in as always. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so yet so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for better virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the season. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for readers who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.